Jesus, make us like little children this morning. Give us eyes to see what you want to show us. Give us ears to hear. Holy Spirit, we are desperate for you to come and to breathe your life into us. And we trust that that's exactly what you want to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to begin today by showing you several pictures of various groups and to see if you know what they're called. And to give you a little bit of help, the answer will come in this formula of a blank of blank. So there's two words you have to supply, okay? A blank of blank. You guys ready? Didn't sound very confident, but we're going to do it anyway. So here we go. First slide. A school of fish. Well done. So you guys got this. Okay, next picture. I heard both. A herd or a flock of sheep. Both are correct answers. Technically, we'll go with a flock of sheep. And next. Well done. I'm impressed. I would have thought a flock of birds, but a gag. Picture. A crash of rhinos. Well done. Next picture. Pack of wolves, we know this one, right? And a pride of lions. Oh, a colony of beavers. There you go. And a troop of monkeys. We're slowing down here a little bit. A consortium of octopuses. A sleuth of bears. And a church of Christians. Not a church with Christians, a church of Christians. Church is a gathering word. Wherever the people of God are gathered, there is the church. The church is not a building where we gather, it is us, the gathered people of God. Uh, unfortunately, unlike the little children's jingle that we all learned with the hand motions, right? Like, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door and see all the people. Cute, memorable, bad theology. Here's the building, here's the steeple, open the door and see the church. The church, first and foremost, are the people of God. We've been in a sermon series on the book of Ephesians, primarily looking at what it means to be the church. Uh, ecclesiology is the big fancy theological word for this, but we wanted to drive home the point that Paul is making by calling it a people of God. This is what Paul has been passionate about through the first couple chapters of Ephesians. And Paul is gushing about God and his grace and the growth of the church, and he's convinced that the church is alive and well because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are alive and well. Resurrection power has been unleashed in the church. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and at work within us, and it's raising us from the dead, the body of Christ. And so walls are coming down and temples are being raised up. And the building that God is building is not built by people, but with people. Uh, Acts says that God does not live in building maids by human hands as though he needed anything, for he himself gives life and breath in all things to all men. From one man, he makes all nations of mankind. This is what God is doing. He's not building his church 
by our efforts, but with us as living stones that are being built up into a temple in which God dwells by His Spirit. But if you spend any time around church like I have, I'm not just talking about this church, but just church, at some point you have to ask yourself, how is it going for us? Like, how is this working out, Paul, really? Like, maybe Paul's just excited and things are great, this ideal picture that he has in his mind, but like, I mean, Paul, you're in prison writing this. You know that it's not going great all the time. Like, maybe, like, have things just gotten better and better and better since Paul's day? Like, is the church some enclave of safety and welcome for all people? As one Christian artist sings, it's another headline, another disaster, another fall from grace from some mega pastor. How's it going, really? Rather than being a gathering word, church seems to be a fracturing word. Church divisions and church splits seem almost synonymous with church history. We're just devising new ways to divide. We split every chance we get. Is the church really one? Is it really united? So why bother with the church? I mean, we don't even need church history. Most of our own histories would tell us that the church can be a place of hurt and exclusion and division. So why bother? Uh, Paul was not unaware of this reality. Again, he's sitting in prison, writing about the fact that God is tearing down walls as he's stuck behind prison walls himself. The, like church hurt is not some new phenomenon that we've just invented in the past few years. If you think like we're just a mess and somehow we have to get back to the glory days of the early church, I would submit to you, you may not understand what the early church was really like. They were a mess too. We're all a mess. And so Paul gets that this is part of the story. But what Paul is saying in Ephesians 3 is that this is not the entirety of the story or even the main plot of the story. There's something that's been hidden beneath the surface that's now being made known. It's a mystery no more. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul takes a break from like the pounding of the pulpit or the pounding of his pen to try to pray for us. He knows that we need God's help to see what it is he's saying. And I say that he tries to pray for us because he actually doesn't get around to praying for us in today's passage. And he starts out, for this reason, for, for all the things that I've just written, for chapters 1 and 2, all the things that come before, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he just stops. Like there in your Bible, it's just a dash. And he just gets caught up by this other idea. By the way, do you know what it is we're talking about? Like this mystery? Like, he, he will eventually get around to praying for us, uh, down in verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. But before he can start praying, he gets distracted by the glorious mystery that's been made manifest in the Messiah, and he can't just move on. He has to stop and make sure that we get it. So what is the mystery? Four times in the first nine verses of Ephesians 3, the mystery. Now, Paul doesn't mean by mystery what we normally mean by mystery. Like there's not something that's like a murder mystery, like there's a problem to be solved or something hidden you have to go find. For Paul, mystery is something that was hidden but's now been revealed. It's a known secret. 
It's insider information that's been made available to outsiders, and in so doing, has made outsiders insiders. It's a known secret. And it's not just a mystery, verse 3, but it is the mystery of Christ, verse 4. Now, now when you hear mystery of Christ, and he says, I've written briefly about this, our minds should go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The mystery has been set forth in Christ, and it's about the fullness of time. In other words, this is not just part of the story. This is the story. Christ himself, this mystery revealed. It was God's plan from before the foundation of the world. It's the thing that's being unveiled in time and space through the church, and it is the story of the world to come. And that story is not primarily one of falling and fracturing, but that out of this fractured and fallen world, God is uniting all things together in himself. But Paul gets the fact that we may not get it. Paul understands that what he's talking about, what God has done and what God is doing and what God will do may not square with our experience, may not jive with reality of church and the way we've encountered it. And so he brings this mystery to a fine point in verse 6. The mystery, the mystery of Christ. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What God has planned in eternity past, what God will bring to fruition in the future, it is already now beginning to happen in the church. Peoples are being brought together. We are fellow heirs. The NIV makes this repetition clear by saying that we are heirs together, that we are members together, that we are partakers together, fellow together, the church. God gathers people. God groups groups together. This is what he does. And when God is bringing groups together, when God is grouping things, he's not just including things, he's creating things. If you think about creation, when God is grouping all the things that fly for the sky above and all the things that swim for the sea below and all the things that walk and crawl for the dry land, he's not just taking what was and like categorizing it, he's creating it, he's bringing it about out of nothing into something. And they have different spaces, but they all fit into his one single act of creation, a unity, a whole, a completeness. And this is hard for us to get our minds around because when we group things, we tend to break things apart. We tend to separate, to categorize, to classify, to control. Now, there is something good and right to like naming and taming what is. It can allow us to see the diversity and the beauty of what God has made. His one thing, one act of creation is diverse and beautiful. But too often when we begin to focus on diversity, we can begin to divide and create divisions. But God is doing something new. He's bringing things together. 
And that's not so much the surprise. Like Israel knew that they were blessed to be a blessing, right? They, they knew that somehow God was going to draw all the peoples. This is our Old Testament text today. Let the peoples praise me. Let all the peoples praise me. All the nations and tribes and tongues. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. The mystery that's revealed is how is that going to happen? And this was the gospel passage. Jesus going, the thing that's been hidden from past generations that's now revealed to you, it's me. It's happening in me, in my body, in the church. God has chosen the church not to learn from the wisdom of the world, but through the church, God is making his manifold wisdom known to the cosmos. It's in the church that he's doing it. But we don't like that. Whenever groups come together, it is always a work of the Spirit. It took the Spirit giving Peter a vision and a dream to go, no, the Gentiles are included. It took the Spirit pouring himself out on the Gentiles to go, no, they're my people. It's the Holy Spirit that has to open our eyes and open our hearts for this reality. And apart from the Spirit's work, we don't like groups coming together. We want the pack of wolves to stay very much far away from the flock of sheep. Thank you very much. But God is able to make us lay down our pride and make lions lay down with lambs. He's bringing groups together. He's creating something new within himself. And this is the point of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, that he is making in his person one new humanity out of the two. The church really is one and holy and Catholic and apostolic because of what Jesus is doing. But at this point, we may be tempted to go, really? Like, Paul, do you know what's going on today? It's been a few minutes since you've written this letter. Like, are you aware of all the power-hungry power pastors around today? Like, all the big buildings with their names on it, and like the media, and the, all of the stuff, right? Like, do you know how many people are being hurt? Like, the sheep are being devoured by the wolves that are dressed up like sheep. We don't want these groups together. We want them separated. Did you know that the hurt that's been caused, the devastation, by those in positions of spiritual power? Do you get this, Paul? And I think Paul would lovingly and boldly respond. Did you read verse 1? I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And the key word here is not prisoner. Paul's not going, hey, I get it. I'm suffering as well. Thank you very much. The key word is Paul. I, Paul, like, I'm, I'm not the victim here. I'm not someone who's suffered under the hands of power-hungry pastors. I, Paul, was the power-hungry pastor. I, Paul, was the one persecuting and killing Christians. I, Paul, was the Jew going after the Gentiles. I, Paul, deserved to be in prison because of persecution of the Gentiles. But by God's grace, by Christ Jesus, I, Paul, am a prisoner of Christ for proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. How does a Jew and a Gentile get brought together? By Christ Jesus. Paul's going, I get it, I was the problem. But God chose me. God called me. 
God empowered me. God has given me this ministry to proclaim this gospel to the very people I was persecuting. I am less than the least of all the saints. But God came after me and got me through the church. Paul's not going, hey, my ministry is not trying to like make up for what I've done. My ministry is not a gift to God. My ministry is a gift of God's grace to me by which I'm continuing to be saved in and through the church. But God's grace in real time is often hard to handle. Like we get God's past grace. Yes, Paul, a long time ago, did those horrible things to Christians, but man, God got him and God saved him. He's forgiven. We love Paul. David, he had an affair. He killed people. But man, he's a man after God's own heart. But grace, this person right here that hurt me, nope. We're okay with God's past grace, but real-time grace is a tough pill to swallow. And let me take just a moment to say that I don't think it's Paul's point And it's certainly not my point to make light of real hurt and harm that has been done to you by the church. It's not okay. And it's not right. And as a pastor who has been chewed up and spit out by the church, and as a pastor who has hurt people, I want to say I'm sorry. But the church is where God's grace meets us and unites us to one another, and brings us back to himself. I have friends who I used to work at churches with who no longer attend church and find it really hard to even believe in God. And oftentimes they ask me, Eric, what are you even still doing there? Like, how can you be there? And you want to plan another one of those things? Why are you there? And my response is, Where else am I going to go? It's the church. It's the body of Christ. It's God himself that is bringing us together and healing our hurts, binding up our wounds in and through the church. Now, now the church, it, it can't be abstracted into arithmetic. It's not just more numbers and more people and more buildings. This is organic reality, a living, breathing body. Christ himself is the head, and the church is his body. And just as you can't have a head without a body or a body without the head, you cannot have the church without Christ. And though it seems nearly heretical to say, because of God and his kindness and his choice before the foundation of the world, there will be no Jesus without his church, his body. He has united himself to us forever. He's making us one with him and with each other. The church is where God has chosen to pour out his grace. It's through the church that God reveals his manifold wisdom to the world. He's uniting us together into a new humanity in Christ by the Spirit. And it's not Christians who make the church. It's the church that makes Christians. It's Christ himself, his body. We are the first fruits of God's kaleidoscopic and cosmic new creation. And it's already happening here and now 
in our midst for the sake of the world. So do not lose heart. Not for the things that Paul was suffering, not because of the things that you and I have suffered. That is part of the story. But the main plot, the mystery, is that through all of this suffering, God, through His church, is working for us an eternal, cosmic weight of glory that far outweighs it all. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have not left us alone. Not only did you wake, make from one man all nations of mankind, but you are taking all nations and you are bringing us back together into a new humanity in you, Jesus, in the church, the living body of Christ. God, I pray that you would do what you do and meet us here today in your body. God, whether we have been hurt and harmed, God, whether we carry with us the guilt of the ways we've hurt and harmed others, God, would you bring healing? Would you bring health to your body? Would you grow your church? Would you not let the kingdom of hell advance against it? God, thank you that your grace to us is not in vain. That all of this is from you, God. You are the one that's doing it. Encourage us today by your spirit that we might not lose heart. That we would trust that all of this somehow is for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.